So a few weeks ago, Doyle and I were talking and kind of casually, out of nowhere, Doyle said, well, you know, Hannah, on February 19th, you'll not only be concluding the Global Partner Sermon Series, but you're actually going to be concluding the entire Setting Sail Sermon Series that we've been in since the fall. No pressure. No pressure, right? (laughs) So just to review where we are and where we've come from. In the fall of 2014, our church's deacons entered a season of discernment to ask the question, God, what do you have next for First Baptist Church? And then in the first part of 2015, our church did... 40 days of focused prayer in small groups on the same topic. And then in the fall of 2015, we had a series of congregational conversations to help us continue to ask God this question and to discern together. And from those congregational conversations, we collected information and stories and dreams from all across our congregation. So from that information, our lead team identified five major areas of emphasis drawn from the data. And the setting sail process has been about exploring these five areas, God-centered worship, life-changing faith, authentic relationships, community transformation, and global partners. Over the last several months, our setting sail crews, which are made up of leaders from across our congregation, drilled down into each of these five areas, and they identified areas of focus, they identified initiatives, and identified action steps for each one. So in one week on February 26th, if you haven't heard it yet, I am very surprised, you will hear it a hundred more times. In one week, on February 26th, our setting sail leaders will share with us the work that they have done. And Bill Wilson, the consultant that we've worked with throughout this process, will be here to preach and worship. And then he will join us for our lunch and congregational conversation after the second service. And so together, we will continue to ask and to see through a glass dimly what God is inviting us to do and be in our next season of ministry. What a journey it's been. So here we are on this final Sunday of our Global Partners Sermon Series. The last couple weeks, Doyle preached from texts in Matthew that focused on this boundary-breaking, disciple-making ministry of Jesus. And today, we're in the book of Romans. So I will invite those of you who are able to stand as I read the scripture uh, from Romans. In chapter 1, I'll be reading beginning in verse 8 and concluding in verse 17. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed throughout the world. For God, whom I serve with my spirit by announcing the gospel of his Son, is my witness that without ceasing I remember you always in my prayers. 
asking that by God's will I may somehow at last succeed in coming to you. For I am longing to see you, so that I may share with you some spiritual gift to strengthen you, or rather so that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far have been prevented, in order that I may reap some harvest among you as I have among the rest of the Gentiles. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Hence, my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed through faith for faith. As it is written, the one who is righteous will live by faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Partnering the gospel. Partnering the gospel. So here's a question. Can a church's people partner globally or locally if they haven't learned how to partner within the church? Maybe phrased a different way. Can our church be a global partner if we do not practice partnership with each other. Paul, the author of this letter to the church at Rome, was deeply concerned about this very issue, the practice of partnership. Paul felt called by God specifically to a gospel mission among the Gentiles. So what that meant was that Paul understood that the Jesus event was one that offered salvation to anyone and everyone, regardless of the race into which a person was born and regardless of a person's past. Now, most of us grew up understanding the gospel to be global in its scope. The idea that John 3.16, for God so loved the world, that means everyone, makes sense for us. We've kind of grown up understanding that. But this was not the common understanding among the religious in Jesus or Paul's lifetime. Now one of the reasons Paul writes to the church in Rome is because he is looking for a strategic partner. Eventually, he wants to go on a mission to Spain, which is much further west from many of the places where Paul ministered. But in order to do that, he's going to need money. And he's going to need close partners. Close in proximity. So if you look at a map of Paul's travels, Rome, which at the time was the largest city in the world, would be a connection closest to Spain. For Paul. 
But more than physical proximity and money, Paul was looking for a close spiritual partner in his mission to the Gentiles. A group of people who felt the way he felt, that the gospel really was for everyone. Now, unlike Paul's other partner churches, Paul did not found the church at Rome. And at the time he wrote this letter, he had never visited it before. So these people didn't really know Paul, other than what they might have heard, which might not have been great. And like many early Christian communities, this community in Rome is struggling with a tooth-and-nail conflict that could undo any monolithic congregation that's been around for a long time, let alone this fledgling Christian church in the first 30 years after Jesus' death. Now, Baptists, throughout our history, have always been up for a good debate. We can argue about church polity, interpretation of scripture, baptism requirements, the color of the carpet, the wallpaper in the bathroom, until we run out of coffee. Now, anytime change is introduced into a system, there's tension. The system has an impulse to return to the old way, to find homeostasis, to return to what's familiar and safe and comfortable. And I really think that at some point or another, if you are part of church long enough, it could happen at an event, it could happen in the middle of a meeting, in a Sunday school class, or at a worship service. Something that is said, or proposed, or done, will trigger your defenses like nothing you have experienced. Maybe some of you have experienced that. That moment where you're in a meeting or in a worship service and you think, that's the worst idea I have ever heard. Or, that's not how I would do that. Or, I can't believe she just said that. Or, it is time for a strategic bathroom break or I'm going to say something my mama would not be proud of. In seasons like the one that we are about to begin, where the rubber is hitting the road with this vision process, as we're going through change, we're going to learn about ourselves. We're going to learn about our boundaries and our comfort zone and what the edges of that are. We might discover the sacred cows that we have about church. Whether that's worship style, how we approach evangelism, who we choose to build partnerships with, or how we interpret the Bible. The list goes on and on and on, right down to the stuff that you didn't know mattered to you until you're in the moment and your defenses come up. God uses these moments to help us grow and change, but also to help us learn how to use our voices, to speak honestly, 
to speak out of love, and to be an active partner in God's mission through our church. So I just want to take this moment to encourage you in this coming season not to miss out on those God-given opportunities to use your voice, your voice, in writing this next chapter of God's work through our church, even if that means taking risks and being vulnerable. So can a church's people partner globally if they haven't learned how to partner with each other? Paul's answer to that question at this moment in his letter to the Romans would be no. Paul wants to reconcile this divided church at Rome because he knows that their unity will be vital to the global mission especially if Gentiles are to come to the faith. It's important for us to remember at this time that Christianity was not separate from Judaism. Christianity was a Jewish sect. Paul was very focused on what needed to be done and what needed to be said for Gentiles to be able to receive the good news. So this conflict in the church at Rome was over whether or not a person had to be Jewish in order to be a Christian. This was the first great conflict of the church. In the church, there were Gentile Christians and Jewish Christians. Jewish Christians were law-obedient, Torah-following Jews. Circumcision, dietary laws, holidays, festivals, who believed that Jesus was the Messiah. Gentile Christians were non-Jews who came to associate themselves with the God of the Israelites and came to believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Prior to their conversion, Gentile Christians may have followed one of the many mystery religions or philosophies of the Hellenistic world. They may have been somewhat agnostic which was kind of common at the time. There is some kind of God or gods who in some way rule and order this world, but we don't really know who they are. So each believer at the church in Rome brought varying degrees of allegiance to their former religious or cultural experience to the table. So this is the hard stuff, right? This is the stuff that would get our blood pressure up that would trigger our defenses, that would really challenge us. Like, I love you, but I don't know if I can do this. To tell Jewish Christians that following Jewish law was optional was to question the core of their identity and the core of their belief that the law was a gift of God and was tied up in God's promises. You couldn't have the promises without the law. How could these Gentiles be a part of us if they don't do it the way we've always done it? To tell Gentile Christians that they had to follow Jewish law was to undermine the promise that Paul made to them. Salvation came through faith alone, 
and not through works. They felt that Jewish Christians were being uptight about the law to the point of irrelevance. And I thought, you know, we're not really sure that we want to be a part of this group of people who refuse to do things differently. So maybe you've been like the Jewish Christian, deeply loyal to tradition, concerned about losing touch with a sacred way of doing things, concerned about reaching a new generation of believers, but equally concerned about how the church is going about reaching a new generation of believers. I have been there. Maybe you've been the Gentile Christian. Coming to church having heard the promise of grace. Only to experience rejection. In the sense that you are still not good enough. Maybe you're longing for a way to connect, but you keep feeling stuck on the outside. And you're wondering if the church could ever be relevant to real life in 2017. I have been there. Paul believes that partnership is the best strategy for the church if it's going to successfully fulfill Jesus' commands. And so he needs to find a way to help the churches admit their differences without otherizing each other. So he does what any person would do who's looking to build a partnership. He finds what they have in common. The gospel. The good news. It's the ultimate redirection. Verse 15 in chapter 1. Hence my eagerness to proclaim the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith. Paul is setting up for the Romans what he's going to talk about. And the heart of it is the gospel. Paul identifies two truths for the church. The first one is that they're all sinners. Jew or Gentile, they are all subject to sin and death. They each carry within them a sickness of human heart. The tendency to do what they shouldn't and not do what they should. They are vulnerable to brokenness and alienation and bondage. Every single one of them. The second truth is that they are all saved by God's grace through Christ. They are all liberated from this law of sin and death. And now they live under the law of the Holy Spirit. Because Paul couldn't be with them personally, Paul sent this letter to be a warm, real, powerful substitute for his presence. And Paul uses that opportunity with great passion and sincerity to preach the gospel to them 
and to remind them that they are all sinners in need of God's grace. And guess what? Every single one of them have received that gift. And then Paul gives them practical tools for how he expects to see the gospel lived out in their partnership with each other. Number one, express genuine love to each other. Number two, practice an ethic of humility. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Work to please others and not yourselves. Respect each other's practices. Respect what another person eats, what another person feels like they cannot eat. Respect the law that the person follows and respect the one who does not follow the laws. Don't get stuck on that. Number three, focus on what makes for peace and mutual building up of the church. There are all kinds of things they could be distracted by. But around the table, ask, what is going to make for peace and mutual building up of this partnership? And lastly, but very importantly, practice radical hospitality. Radical hospitality. Everyone. The gospel is for everyone. Welcome others in the same way God has welcomed you. I feel really blessed and humbled to be a part of this congregation. I really do. Our church, every person in this room, is uniquely gifted to share the good news of Jesus. In a world that is hungry and thirsty and watching and listening and longing for the life that really is life. And the urgency today is as powerful as it was in the year 57 when this letter was written to the church in Rome. So may we be encouraged to remember why we're all here. Regardless of where we come from, how long we've been here, or what we feel like we have to offer. We are all here because of the gospel. And may we journey with genuine love, with humility, in a spirit of unity, and through means of radical hospitality. And we can also remember that while each of us share in this cosmic, global good news, each of us has a unique gospel experience. And this text invites us to reflect on that too. God, in your story, what is your personal gospel experience? What brought you to this journey of faith in Jesus? I came across this video several months ago, and it just stuck in my brain. And whenever I think about how I might explain the gospel to someone, and the further I get on my journey, the more tongue-tied I get, how, how do you explain it? But this video, it just keeps, it keeps popping up in my mind. And so... I'd like to, to share it with you. 
And let's think about experience of the gospel as we watch this. So for a long time, I was kind of hanging with the Buddhists, uh, studied Buddhism. I actually thought I would be a professor of Buddhism um, and a lot of other paths. And for me, at least, the experience was very abstract and, frankly, kind of personal. I wasn't deeply enough embedded in a Buddhist community in a Sangha, I would say, so I, I don't say this as a critique of Buddhism, but my experience was that. And I kept wanting somehow to have an intimate experience of God. And then I realized, I mean, over time, but it, 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 it blossomed for me that, oh, that's what Jesus is. <laughs> like, Jesus is God's response to yearning like mine. Jesus is God saying, you want to know me, don't you? Like, you actually, you want to know me. Well, good, because I want to know you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be with you all in the muck, in the nastiness, in the death, in all of it. I'm going to go there. It's an improbable friendship. Yeah, it is. But I feel like that's, that was what took me from here to here with God, was Jesus. Um, and I couldn't even talk about it for a while. You know, I... I kind of had the Harvard thing going on. It was, you know, just like, how do I process this? How do I interpret this? Um, you know, like, which book of theology makes, <laughs> makes sense out of this? And, um, and I just was like, no, no, this, these are some of the gifts of grace. And it was that God has just met you where you are. Like, oh, God met me. Who was, I was trying to think my way into faith, and God just slid in on the underside. It was like, no, 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 boo-boo. We're going to feel something now. And we're going to feel is, and what you're going to see is, is my face in Jesus, present to you, loving you, and inviting you into a life for others. Which is the other, like that's like, how do I know that's God? Like Jesus is God, because who else has lived a life for the world so fully? Uh, but like not the superhero that, yeah, that, that people are cheering for in the movie. <laughs> um, no, no, it's like I, I kind of, I needed, I needed to see a God who would, who knew something about brokenness because that's the only God I think who could actually heal a world. As we come to a time of reflection, I want to invite us to reflect on our experience of the gospel. So if everyone will bow your heads and close your eyes, I'd like to ask you some questions and invite you to think about these with God. Jesus is God's response to yearning like yours. What do you yearn for? Jesus is God saying, I want to know you and I want to be with you. What do you need God to know about you? How do you need God to be with you?
The gift of grace is that God meets you where you are. Can you allow God to meet you where you are today? No gussying up, no defenses. Just right where you are. God invites us to live a life for others. How is God calling you to the freedom of giving yourself away? God knows something about the deepest kinds of brokenness. What broken part of you do you need God to heal? As we stand and sing in just a moment, I invite you to keep chewing on these questions. Keep chewing on your story and bring that to the table next week and bring it with you on this journey because you are a part of this tapestry. And without you, it's not whole.